Good evening and welcome to this week's edition of the Perceptive Podcast here on Game Wisdom, where we examine the art and science of games. As always, I am Josh Placer, and we have a very interesting cast this week. We're going to be talking about the organization Games for Change, who are celebrating their 15th annual festival, focusing on getting more kids and students into the game industry and making games to help bring about social change, as well as just being able to introduce more and more people to what it means to design games. So at the time of this cast, as it's going up, they will be running their 15th uh, conference or presentation. And my guest tonight, she is the president and CEO of the organization, and she's going to be on to discuss the organization and what they're doing in terms of social programs and the upcoming festival. So please welcome to the cast this week, Susanna Pollack. Hello. Nice to be here. Nice to talk to you, Josh. It's great to have you on, Susanna. How are you doing? We are recording this about one week before the next conference. Um, so yes, things are, are pretty busy over here at the Games for Change headquarters. Um, we're getting ready to start a uh, conference, a festival that we've been running for 15 years, um, where we're going to bring together over a thousand people who are interested in uh, this notion that games can be used for positive good um, beyond just the purpose of entertainment. Yes, and that is a really great event, really great uh, message to send out. For people who are longtime fans of Game Wisdom, you know that I'm always about basically laying or illuminating the discussion about game design and what it means to create video games beyond just being a product. And I've had a chance to talk to a lot of great developers, I'm sure you have as well, Susanna, about just the challenge and the craft it takes to make video games for a living. Um, so, yeah, so there's, uh, you know, it's part art, part science, um, a lot of collaboration mm -hmm. uh, to make a game. And what we uh, try to encourage people, um, particularly who are those who are interested in making a game for impact, is that you can also think about this medium as a powerful tool and a powerful platform to drive uh, social change, just the way that movies and television and other forms of media can tackle important subjects or be used to educate people around issues. Um, games have that that same opportunity. Um, you know, games are ubiquitous. There's yes. just and it's such a huge opportunity to uh, use this popular medium to um, to bring some good to the world. Mm -hmm. And one thing I really like about the Games for Change organization is the fact that you bring students and kids to uh, to talk to and collaborate with game developers to get these ideas made. Because game design is one of those aspects that's it's very hard, I think, to point in war just what it is or what it takes to make something. And being able to introduce a a students to designers who have been working on this for a living, I think is a really great cause. Well, thank you. We were really excited about the, the program that we started to help inspire the future game designer. Um, we started this program in 2015 in New York City um, with the Department of Education, where we uh, partnered with them to come up with a, a challenge, like a competition, a games design challenge that could run in middle and high schools. Um, very much like, you know, Scholastic might have mm -hmm. the poetry writing contest, right? Or you might be having an art making contest. We we're like, why shouldn't there be a video game making contest? Like that's the popular form of medium today. And in order to do that, we realized that we actually going to have to introduce kids into how to make games. Mm -hmm. Kids, you know, a lot of, you know, young people love playing games, but very few of them have had exposure to, you know, how to go about actually making a game. And that, you know, obviously requires um, some knowledge and uh, both on a technical standpoint, but also on, you know, design thinking and, and things like that. So we uh, partnered with an organization named Mouse who has a serious games uh, design course that we now offer to 20 schools in New York. And we also have this program in LA and in Detroit and Atlanta, where we let, uh, give an opportunity for, uh, kids to learn how to make games using this design course, and then inspire them to design games around social issues. 
so we partner with amazing organizations like Lady Gaga's Born This Way Foundation to help shape a theme around kindness and empathy, for example. Mm -hmm. So kids are inspired and given interesting information about what it's like, you know, to, um, to infuse empathy and kindness in your world rather than a world of negativity and bullying. And kids are designing games around those issues. They're coming to game jams that we host throughout the city. We bring in game designers to, um, uh, to work with the kids and act as mentors. And then, um, we have this competition and which is actually culminating this weekend in New York. Um, and this year we're going to be hosting a ceremony for the finalists in our competition at the Intrepid Museum on the west side of New York, um, which is going to be super fun. And we get to acknowledge amazing games that kids have made around all these different topic areas. Great. And for people listening to this cast right now, the Games for Change Festival, that is going to be on June 28th, or when does it start this year? So the Games for Change um, Festival starts on June 28th, and it goes to June 30th. Um, and we hold, we organize our festival according to different kind of um, uh, subject areas. The, the This community has grown so much that there are people who are making games are interested in exploring how to use games for the work um, in so many different fields. So we design different tracks. Um, so for two days, we focus on games and, um, and we have a whole track on games and education, right? How games can be used for the classroom and mm -hmm. in teaching things. We focus on games and social and civic issues. So how can, how can a game raise awareness around a, a humanitarian issue or bring communities together um, or you know, inform people about the crisis that are happening, let's say about migration? Mm -hmm. And then we have a whole track based on health and neurogaming. So exploring how games could actually change the way our brains function to help deal with things like stress, help help treat ADHD or help with, um, reducing, um, or help with like post-traumatic stress. Like, there's amazing ways that games can be applied to, um, mental and physical well-being. Mm -hmm. And both those topics right there, Susanna, the first one about bringing games into the classroom as well as the health or positive aspects. Those are two very fascinating discussions. And, I would love if we had the time today to do a second or third cast on those topics specifically, because I've spoken to a few developers in the past about getting video games into the classrooms or using them as mm -hmm. a form of teaching beyond just edutainment. And I know that can be a very challenging nut to crack for a lot of schools. Right. Um, so the uh, probably the biggest challenge for that sector is distributing the games into the educational system. And I only know a little bit about it. Um, you know, I'm not in, in that field, but from what I understand, you know, there's teach, certainly there are teachers who are interested in using it in the classroom and do understand, you know, that ways in which to reach kids could be and, sh and should be, you know, through medium that they're excited about, right? How, mm -hmm. how much easier it is it going to teach algebra, uh, to kids if they're able to do exercises, you know, within, within a video game, right? And they can track their progress. I mean, there's just, you know, it's, it can be super fun. Um, and it can be, and it can be quite effective. Um, but the teachers themselves aren't always the decision makers of yes. what comes into the classroom. So then you're dealing with administrations and who's buying the product for the classroom and, um, or for an entire district. So it, it definitely presents challenges, um, to uh, to reach the, the people who are making decisions of what to buy. And I think in many ways, we're still in the phase where we have to do some convincing, right? Yeah. To convince people that this is uh, an efficient and effective tool in the classroom. Definitely. And I know when I spoke to a few game developers who have done this before, try to get education versions of their games in classrooms. I know another big struggle is teaching to the common core. But I know that's a whole different topic we could certainly discuss. Um, so sure. I mean, there are obviously there are a lot of different subject areas that you can 
uh, introduced into the classroom. Um, and then there are issues of every state has its own, right? Yes. Their, their, their own uh, requirement. requirements. So how do you create a universal product that can be used in each state? And, and um, certainly there are developers and companies that are addressing this strategically and have had you know tremendous success um one one example that comes to mind is a is a series of game experiences that i think are, are reached i think about at least 50 percent of middle schools in the united states which is a series of games by iCivics mm-hmm. and it's a it's a game studio actually that was founded by um former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. And um, she's come to our festival to speak in the past. And she um, was advised and and made a commitment to teaching middle schoolers civic education through video games. Um, the story goes that when she left the Supreme Court, she was really frustrated that her grandkids couldn't name the three branches of government, but they can name the three um, judges on American Idol. <laughs> Right. There's a problem with that. And she um, came to the uh, belief that if she can engage this youth in a, in a, a fun and um, and informative, you know, uh, exercise or, you know, experience that they would be able to retain and, and develop an interest in this in, in this piece of our, you know, our government. And so through iCivics, which is a not for profit they distribute over now over 20 games about civics um, education throughout um, the country. And they offer this for free. So it's different business model, right? It, um, there isn't that barrier of, of entry of somebody actually has to buy the product. It's offered for free. Um, and it is really effective. And these games are really, really fun to play. Great. And there's always that challenge. I think we'll probably spend a few minutes discussing this later on in the cast about – Trying to make a game that's both engaging and at the same time either educational or informative. Because I'm sure for my audience listening to this right now, we've seen many games that try to tackle social or serious issues. And there's always that fine line to walk between trying to you know teach someone a specific topic, but at the same time trying to make the actual experience engaging for them. Um, so yes, I'd be happy to talk about that more, but you're absolutely right. There are the nuances that are true for any game designer, whether you're making a commercial game, um, or you're making an educational game is that you need to keep your, uh, player engaged and wanting to come back and do more. Um, you have to make sure the game isn't too easy, isn't too hard, um, offer rewards and all those game mechanics that come into play, regardless of whether you're doing an impact game or a, um, or an entertainment game. Mm-hmm. But before we get to talking more about the games and that kind of challenge, I figured let's spend a few more minutes discussing a little bit more about games for change. Because I know for my audience, I'm sure some of them have heard of the organization, but it's always great to get more uh, outreach for it. So my first question for you, Susanna, as I said at the start, this is going to be the 15th annual running of the festival. For the folks listening, could you talk a little bit about how things began back in 2003 for them? Sure. Um, so the founders of Games for Change, um, and uh, was, which is not me, I've been in the organization for five years, but mm-hmm. 15 years ago, the founders, um, Barry Joseph, um, Benjamin Stokes and Suzanne Sagerman came together um, with, you know, with uh, a general kind of vision that um, this growing, fast-growing industry of games and the game designers that are working in this space could actually apply some of this efforts towards something that's educational or beneficial. And they started bringing together some uh, academics uh, in New York. We've always had the event in New York, you know, and it started off as a con- in a conference room for 40 people. Um, and every year, year on year, it, it, like the audience doubled. It was 80 people the second year, 160 people the third year, up to the point where now um, maybe we weren't completely doubling over 15 years, but we have over a thousand people now. Um, and the the community that is within Games for Change is so interesting because it's not just the developers and the designers, though obviously this industry wouldn't be anywhere without them, but it's also um, 
those interested stakeholders who want to use games for good. So you've got researchers and assessment experts. You've got subject matter experts, right? So you've got people in the health industry, people who are who are um, social, let's say, workers, who are educational experts, behavioral experts, who are partnering with these game designers um, to make this amazing content. And then you have like large foundations and NGOs and government agencies that are funding games. And you'd be so surprised to hear about who is working in this space, you know, at, in different industries. Um, and, and it's so interesting because we, we will bring all these people together and it's this very eclectic cross sector, like public and private and cross discipline community that all work together and are making amazing content. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I find very fascinating, Sandy, that you said was that the organization began or things started to take shape back in 2003. Because as my audience knows, the game industry moves very fast when it comes to growth and expanding to new areas. And I remember back in 2003, this was, I think it was like right before I would go to college. And that was still during that era where video games weren't really at you know pop culture peak as it was today we were getting there but it was still considered this kind of niche hobby i know a lot of schools didn't even really think about having programs to educate people to get into the industry so it's fascinating to hear that your organization was looking that far forward i should say during that era um, so yes, I do, and it's interesting that it was um, in part uh, founded by people who were working in academia. So they are looking ahead at you know culturally and 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 what you know where trends are are um, heading, and um, uh, they were at the beginning of this of this boom around video games that has now, you know, surpassed other popular forms of entertainment in terms of revenue. Um, and, um, and it still is, I mean, there's, there still is opportunity for growth within the, the gaming space, which is, you know, was tremendous with the introduction of esports and, and VR and other things. Um, but back then, um, there were, there were some early, you know, entrance into the space that said, you know what, we're going to, we're going to jump in and, and, uh, invest some funding and some resources into using this medium. You know, I think about what MTV was involved in and Dopper is dying and, um, and other projects like that, that were certainly early. Um, one of our, uh, executive, um, directors made this, um, game called, um, uh, Peacemaker. Um, which, uh, was, I think it was done 12 years, like 2008, maybe, or 2006, really early in, in the evolution of games for change where, um, he came out of, uh, he was an, he's an Israeli and went to Carnegie Mellon, one of the first schools that had a game design program, um, the entertainment technology center, which is now one of the leading programs in the country. Um, and came up with this game where you could role play as either a Palestinian or an Israeli um, and help try, try to solve the crisis. And it's a game that came out of um, his work in graduate school. And he went off to create his own company. And this game um, was highly um, uh, recognized as being one of the first games for impact experiences that kind of broke through. And you have people in Israel, government officials playing it live on, um, on the news shows. I mean, it had quite a, um, it, it, it had quite an impact in part because it was a very well-made game and it dealt with some very topical issues. And that just really hadn't been done before. Mm-hmm. And that sounds really fascinating. And as we've said, being able to get children and people who have never really like sat down at a computer really started to think about game design and give them a chance to do that is just a really great concept, a really great idea for Games for Change. Yeah, so the work with youth was um, definitely inspired of wanting to, you know, one, help open up eyes to, to kids that, you know, there's something they love playing with and it's their favorite activity, but actually you can actually turn that passion into something that puts you in the position of making something, mm-hmm. right? It's turning your passion into potentially a career path. 
Um, and to be able to show them how you can think like a game designer and not have to, you know, jump in and know how to, you know, code through programs as simple as Scratch, which comes out of the MIT Media Lab, um, and that shows you the thought process of what it's like to put together, um, you know, a game experience. Maybe it's like um, remixing an existing game and starting that way. Just getting them exercising those, you know, those muscles and learning how to construct it at the same time, having them learn other really important skills that are developed due through the process of game design. Mm. So you're developing really important 21st century skills that are going to go with you forever, right? You're learning how to think critically, oh, how yes. to problem solve, right? How to work collaboratively with others. And all of those skills are so important to following any kind of success, any career path, but are particularly you know important in this field of game design. Definitely. I can't agree with you more on that, Susanna. Uh, for as we were just saying before we began our recording, I've been putting on presentations for children and adults around here at my local libraries. And I did a presentation about kind of a how to what to expect if you're wanting to get a career in the game industry. And I discuss about how there's more to it than just understanding programming or art. As you said, game design as a skill itself can be a very polymorphous or very amorphous topic to try and explain. And as you just said, other skills such as critical thinking, working with groups, project management, these are elements that even developers today, those who have worked at companies and have gone on their own, they can still struggle with because it is such a very diverse set of skills needed to make a successful game these days. Right. And that's, I think that goes to the collaborative effort mm -hmm. piece. I mean, people who have no experience coding at all could have a very successful career in game design because they bring another set of skills to the table. And maybe it is actually as part of making the game itself. You know, maybe you are a talented artist or you're a great writer and can write stories or you're a sound designer, right? You can apply those skills to this art, the art of designing a game experience but then you also could be interested in marketing or you could be in legal mm -hmm. affairs, right? And you want to work in an industry that you're passionate about, bring those skills to bear, get your law degree, go to marketing school and come into the games industry and, and help support that. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm happy you mentioned marketing there because I've actually spoken to a few developers who have gotten their start or got business degrees beforehand and then they switch track into the game industry. And I'm sure you've heard stories, I'm sure I can regale you with tales as well, of all the different paths people have taken to become game developers. And it's one of the things I really love to talk to people about on a week-by-week -week basis, is that no two stories are exactly the like, or exactly alike. No, I agree with you. I mean, there are, there are people who, you know, woke up one day when they're in, you know, middle school or high school saying, I'm going to be a game designer. And then they go to game, you know, they go to grad, undergrad and graduate school and go through that path. But then there are others like me. I mean, I, first of all, I'm not a game designer, but I work in the games industry and I do it because I have a passion for this medium. And I had the, you know, the good fortune of having a career in another form of media. I worked in television for a long time and, uh, you know, and, and loved the work that I was doing, but realized at a certain point that there are other platforms for storytelling and new ways to engage with people on, on content and experiences. And that led me to, uh, falling in love with the games industry and understanding all the amazing, you know, stories and ways to connect with people you can do through games. And that led me to games for change. Um, and I have absolutely talked to bankers. I've talked to um, people from marketing. I've talked to people who are teachers, you know, who there are a lot of teachers out there now who are making educational video games because they've been in the field. Like they get it. They get it what it's take to connect with kids and they want to create experiences that will help, you know, help um, the next generation. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, getting back to the actual Games for Change Festival for a few minutes, I wanted to at least ask you a few questions regarding kind of like what the festival is, like for people from the outside, like what's going to happen over the, the three days. So 
As we said earlier in the cast, you mentioned that there's going to be the two different tracks, the one for kind of the uh, programming and education, then the one for actual like health and kind of looking at how video games can improve someone's well-being. So obviously we're recording this a week before the festival, but I guess without spoiling too much, what do you and the rest of Games for Change have in store for this year's annual festival? Sure. Well, there are actually three tracks, and we okay. didn't talk too much about the um, civic and social issues track, but um, but you are right. There are different, um, I guess, paths that you can take if you want to come and listen to, you know, if you're interested in education, you can just go to those sessions. Um, so the event itself is held at the New School in New York, which has a beautiful uh, facility that allows us to hold multiple sessions at any given time. So you could come into our, our, our festival on day one and go to a big theater space and, lis- and listen to um, a keynote that could be the chief uh, historian from the franchise Assassin's Creed and talk about how they're, they 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 created a version of their game that can be played in the classroom. Um, Or you might go to a smaller session and hear about how Sesame Street, uh, the producers of Sesame Street created a game that helps youth deal with stress, right? So there there are different types of talks that you can go to and we have amazing speakers and I could go on and on. I'd be happy to tell you about uh, more of them. Um, or you can actually go to um, one of our networking opportunities and you can um, uh, and you can do speed networking and where you have an opportunity for five minutes. You're basically on this league long table that rotates every five <laughs> minutes. We, play, we have this big gong that's played and you you don't know who you're going to meet. You might meet somebody from uh, who's uh, a neuroscientist or you might meet somebody who's a UX, you know, specialist, or you might meet someone who's a lawyer, who's a game designer for a AAA company, and you have a chance to meet lots and lots of different people, which is one of the special things about Games for Change is the networking opportunities. There are just so many different types of people to meet um, at the event. But then we also have an, um, an, a marketplace where you can try games. Um, we have uh, two um, kind of arcade areas. One is the showcase for all of our games for change award nominees. So I think we have 15 different, uh, stations set up where you can try games that are, have been nominated and become final finalists for the categories that we have for the games for change awards, which include, um, uh, most innovative game, best gameplay game that has the, the most significant impact. Uh, we also have the best learning game, and then we have game of the year, and we have a final category called um, it's a polygon and games for change uh, people's choice award, where actually you can go and vote for uh, your favorite game. But I think by the time this this broadcast um, airs, uh, I think it's going to be it'll be over. Um, but we do work. We do want to hear also from our our community of who you think the best games are. Um, but those can all be played at our marketplace, along with um, a lot of other experiences that are from universities. We have a lot of great universities showcasing game projects that their students have made. Um, we have uh, game studios coming and presenting VR game experiences, game uh, HoloLens games experiences, things that you can play on the iPad or laptop. Um, so there's a great opportunity to test out new, um, innovative, um, projects. Great. Now the games that are being developed by the students, like for the actual, that are being voted on and being shown at the festival, have they been like, do they do like the game jam during the festival or does it occur beforehand? Well, at the festival itself, the award ceremony, uh, the, the, the games that are, uh, the finalists are, uh, are could be made by anybody. They they may be made by students, but they also can be made by professional game developers. And those are all they have to be have been made and released within I think a year prior to our um, our submissions process okay. that opened. Um, so no, we don't have a live game jam on the at the event that um, where people are applicable for awards. Um, our student 
game jam competition, which, which ends on June 23rd, we will have a showcase of those games of some of the finalists. So if students were coming and are interested in show checking out other students games that were part of that competition, that's separate from, uh, the games for change official awards. And when, uh, does, when do these like submissions like go up each year for people to start thinking of ideas and putting something together for the games for change? So the uh, the submissions for the awards tend to go up in December or January um, around that time frame. And again, the 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 rules are that the game has to have been released within a period of time. I think it's, um, I, I'm not exactly sure what the timing is, but it has to be released, let's say, you know, because we want the best game to games of that year to be mm-hmm. presented, right? So if a game was released two years ago, that, that wouldn't be applicable. Um, and you don't have to be a professional game developer to submit to the, to the program at all. In fact, one of the finalists, and I think one of the awards came from a, a group from uh, USC last year with a project called Tracking Ida. Um, so we encourage, you know, everyone to submit a game for that, for the awards and you can submit in different categories too. So you might have a learning game that you think also is really innovative and you want to have it, um, uh, be in both categories. Great. And I know we were talking about having like some of the other programs you've you're planning for this year's festival. Is there anything new or first time going to be at, uh, this year's games for change. Um, well, we do actually have a mentors lounge for the first time this year. Um, and that is an experience where we have curated mentors. Um, we've invited people, a lot of them are speakers, um, some people from outside the festival to come in and give time to people who are interested in being a mentee who's interested in learning about different aspects of the business. And unlike the speed networking, session, which is like five minutes, random, you don't know who you're going to meet, and it's just frenetic and awesome. This is more thoughtful, where we actually pair people together um, and uh, give them uh, 15 minutes, 20 minutes to have a, you know, a, an in-depth conversation. So that requires some sign-up in advance, uh, because we want to, as I said, spend a little time to make sure those matches work. You know, so if you're interested in learning about um, user experience, we'd make sure there's a UX designer available. If you're interested in learning about how to make a really uh, incorporate um, biofeedback into your game, you know, make sure there's somebody there with that kind of expertise. Um, so that's something that's new. Um, and then we actually have this new session called Meet the Funders. Um, one of the things that you, uh, your audience may not be aware of is that there are government agencies in the federal government that have been funding video game projects for years. Um, and this is a source of funding for projects. If you, you know, are a budding game designer and you're looking for, you know, financial investment into your projects. And if there, if it is a game for impact, um, these are places you can go. So we set up a series of half hour sessions with different federal funders. So we have somebody from the national science foundation talk, who's going to talk about the type of projects they've funded and then what you need to do to apply. Same thing with someone from the national endowment of the arts and someone from the department of education. So there, there are multiple opportunities to learn about how one can go after these federal funds. Great. And for, again, due to like when this is being recorded and when it's going to go up, can you announce or has it been announced what like the theme is or what kind of the social theme is for the games at this year's festival? Um, well, uh, there, the theme, the way we program the, the, um, the event, you know, is really looking at these different kind of verticals, right? What are, what are some of the best games or what are the most interesting stories that are happening in the health space or, um, the social and civic impact space. So I can talk to a little bit about what games and what, and what speakers are coming. Um, and all of this can be live watched on live stream on Facebook. And we do videotape all of our talks and, um, they, they they're put up on YouTube afterwards in about a month or so. So 
if you can't come to the event, there is a way to, um, to access and to, you know, to hear about, uh, some of the great, uh, uh, speakers. Um, so for, for example, I think I mentioned earlier that, um, we had the chief historian from the Assassin's Creed franchise talking about how, what their process was to create a version of the, you know, highly popular game and make it appropriate for use in the classroom. Um, after they, you know, listened to and responded to a need, a demand out there that teachers were trying to figure out how to, you know, how to, um, bring this into in front of students and they can learn more about history. So that's an exciting talk. Um, we also have, um, Gonzalo Frasca, who is the chief design officer of dragon box. I don't know if any of your, uh, audience members either remembers or have played some of the dragon box games, but it is certainly the most fun way to learn algebra ever. Um, I certainly played it as I was trying to help my seventh grader with, with algebra. Um, he's going to be talking about the design process and how they did work with acad uh, academics and creating curriculum around that highly successful game. Um, we even have someone from the esports sector coming to talk about how um, Riot Games, who make League of Legends, um, have infused like uh, corporate citizenship into their whole um, ecosystem and their infrastructure at Riot Games both through the, um, you know, the people who work there, but also through to the, the fans and the players, um, who are, um, uh, who are playing, um, League of Legends all over the world. Um, and it's going to be exciting to hear how they've been thinking about impact and their, communities oh for sure and esports right there especially with how much it's grown over the last like four or five years i mean that's definitely a topic in of itself we could easily segue into and one of the more fascinating aspects as we've seen like in the last few years have been now we're seeing schools and colleges developing their own esports curriculum or having an esports sponsorship for people yeah. So we're going to we're going to talk about that, too. Um, we have a, a group of people from Orange County and from UC Irvine that have put together a um, a program that is doing just that. They are starting an esports league at a high school um, in Orange County and starting to research how what to research what benefits there are to young people in participating on an esports team in a similar way they might have developmental and behavioral benefits um, and growth opportunities um, from being on a, a intramural or a, a, a school uh, sports, actually physical sports team. So it's the title of that session is called How Esports Can Shape Student Success. Mm -hmm. um, and it's going to be a fascinating conversation. For sure. And it's one I'm sure we're going to be hearing more and more of in the coming months and even probably in the coming years as yeah. esports continues to grow. Oh, absolutely. I think there's, um, I think there's, just now figuring out, you know, one, what the structure of esports is, right? How do you create leagues? And there's so much investment going into the space and construction around building, you know, physical spaces for these tournaments to take place. And all these franchise teams and different industries are trying to figure out how to get involved from the NBA to, you know, to um, uh, venues, right? Like Madison Square Garden. So, um, so yes. And, and how to study and develop programming opportunities for youth who might see themselves, you know, want to pursue a career path and being a professional esports player. Um, but also, I think as relevant is, you know, how can we do this responsibly? And how can we really understand the effect um, and the opportunities that being playing in this in this space mm -hmm. can have on kids? Definitely. And the same goes for, again, as we said earlier, just creating programs or teaching kids about getting into, game, getting into game design and game development. So before we talk more about getting kids or trying to explain to people about what it means to create video games and some of the programs Games for Change has developed, regarding this year's annual event, are there any other aspects or topics we didn't touch on that you'd like to bring up now? Um, well, I, I would, I'd be happy to talk about our interest in virtual reality. Okay. 
um, as we we um, launched a a new track uh, last year, it's actually a whole day dedicated to what we now call XR, um, XR for change. And and by XR, uh, what I mean is to kind of create an umbrella uh, way of describing virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed mm-hmm. reality, and helped. We're helping develop a community of practice of developers, humanitarians, researchers, um, scientists, content creators who are using VR as a way to have some kind of positive effect on the world. So we have a whole day of um, talks and panels about that and also an incredible immersive arcade where we have 16 of some of the most mind-blowing VR and AR experiences. Mm. Both, yeah, Yeah, so that's, I'm really excited about. Now, I guess from my own education, I've obviously heard of virtual reality and augmented reality. What's considered mixed reality? So mixed reality is, is obviously a hybrid, something in between. Okay. Uh, have you heard of the uh, like Microsoft's HoloLens? Yeah, I think it sounds familiar. Yeah, HoloLens is so you're basically putting a device on your – like a, a, a set of glasses. Google Glass was, mm-hmm. was, was like that too, or Magic Leap is now a company that's – Enter this space. So you put some, you put glasses on that doesn't, unlike virtual reality that completely blocks out the real world, you do have a sense of what's happening around you. Um, but on your glasses is layered into layered some visual um, uh, signals, right? That don't exist in the physical world. So it's this opportunity to layer in. Um, uh, objects and some interaction, but but not removing yourself from the environment entirely. Okay. And one question that I just saw, and this one I'm about to ask could probably be its own podcast. In fact, I'm actually going to be doing a live stream on this very topic regarding video games as a form of improving health and well-being. I'm sure you've probably heard the news about the World Health Organization labeling video game addiction as a disorder in its updated uh, list. And I was just curious, as someone who has been focusing on games for a change and the positive impact of video games, what did you think of that ruling? And again, this could probably be like an hour talk if we wanted to. Right. Well, um, my first thought was the classification of a gaming disorder, you know, as a mental health condition just stigmatizes video games. And those who play video games as something negative. Um, the inclusion of the WHO as, as a gaming disorder does not mean that all psychologists and experts agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, it's the beginning of a long process of research and evaluation. Um, so it's, I think it's premature to label gaming disorder as a, as a di- diagnosis. Um, but I do believe, as we've been talking about, that there are benefits to playing video games um, that you know, and there's plenty of research out there that demonstrates that that video gaming can lead to improved cognition, creative creativity, so you know, sociability, um, and that there's a you know larger conversation that I wish people would be having about the you know uh, that includes the benefits of video games and not just focusing on the negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's definitely a very sticky subject when it comes to video games and game design. As like for myself, I've been looking at and examining games for now over seven years, and it's one of those things that it's very hard to talk about because some of the best games are designed to get people to keep playing them. But when things you know cross over and become harmful, that point can be is certainly up for debate by a lot of people. Um, sure. And if that is, in fact, researched and documented, then yes, I think there absolutely is uh, a conversation to be had. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have the conversation. I just think it's premature to make those statements that the the World Health Organization has made. Um, and uh, we need to uh, uh, look in, you know, look mm-hmm. into it, um, look at the research, perhaps commission more research and um, and see if, in fact, it is is something that needs to be classified and offer, um, you know, help to those who are suffer- suffering from it. But I don't necessarily yet believe that we've gotten to that point. All right. 
So moving, I guess, switching gears then, the next set of questions I have for you, and we'll see if we have time to discuss about creating serious games or games built on social issues. We may have to push that into a second discussion if you're interested in the future, but I do want to touch on some of the things Games for Change has done with regards to teaching kids about game design and some of the, I guess, challenges that go with it. So with that said, I guess my first question regarding this topic for you is with Games for Change, again, we've talked about the mentoring you guys have done and some of the programs. I guess how, I'm trying to think of like the best way of phrases, I guess, where does it begin in terms of like bringing in kids and having them sit down and start to learn about game development and game design? Well, when we start with with youth, uh, with kids, and we're working right now with middle and high school students, but I do think this can be applied, uh, this approach can be applied to kids, you know, as young as kindergarten, is to look at game design from an analog standpoint. Don't forget about the computer. Forget about the coding aspect. Is getting kids to understand and think like a game designer, and we always had them start by designing a physical game. Um, we have a workshop that we we run, and we have them um, create games using um, materials that you would find, you know, in any. Uh, kitchen or, you know, office, you know, giving them pipe cleaners and um, rubber bands and paper clips and colored paper and markers. And we give and we give them a task or a, a because we have games for change, give them something to design a game around. Um, and by walking them through the different aspects of game design, right, we think about all the different components of a game, right? They, that's it's pretty universal that when you have a game, regardless of being digital or physical or a sport, right, you have the, the components of a game design that we want them to think about. Um, things like space, thinking about objects, thinking about obstacles, the rules, right, the uh, things like that. And we ask them to design a game using those components um, in a physical environment. And we we also just demonstrate that that actually is you're basically creating a prototype, a paper prototype of something that could be translated into a digital experience. And that process is part of the gate of the design process is as important as being able to learn how to code. For, uh, for sure. I couldn't agree with you more on that one. I've spoken to game developers who have made uh, game designs, both very small to some like insanely complicated uh, structures and systems and it can be very hard to start out to start to, as you said think like a game designer because there's always that tendency to just throw everything and anything into your game and try to build it like that but it takes a kind a special kind of focus and understanding of just what it means to make something playable that the earlier you can start to learn or to think like that, I think ultimately is going to be a net positive for anyone interested in game design. Yeah. I mean, we have these exercises that we do um, also at the very beginning, almost like an icebreaker, where we ask them to kids to mod, modify an existing game just by one component, right? So we give them the game of tic-tac-toe and we say, everyone knows how to play tic-tac-toe. Um, how would you change this game for three players? Like that's one, just one adjustment. How do you, and they think through, all right, do you need, you know, one approach might be to have three different shapes. Someone else might come up with having a three dimensional board. Maybe you have, you know, like, and it's, it's really interesting to have them think about single, you know, adjustment. We did the same thing with, um, rock, paper, scissors, right? How would you make play rock, paper, scissors for three people? Or how would you, you know, so, so, um, encouraging that focus to understand how you break down a game and how different co contributions or nuances or shifts can actually, um, you know, uh, significantly change the play experience. Mm -hmm. And again, it's such a, when we talk about trying to educate someone on game design, it's such a hard topic to kind of really sit down and say, okay, you must know this, this, and this, and lo and behold, you're now a game developer. Right. I mean, there's a lot. Well, first of all, I, I want to encourage kids to make games all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. Like 
you are a game developer just by making, you know, these analog games I'm talking about. Um, and I think that it's a lifelong pursuit of how to make, you know, always uh, learning and adjusting, you know, um, and improving on your uh, skill set. You know, there's learning the basics of a game, right? And then having innovating on that concept, whether it's using digital tools, which are constantly evolving, right? Um, learning how to make a game using Scratch is different than learning how to game make a game using Unity um, or Unreal Engine or um, or Twine or you know some other new tool that that'll be um, uh, invented or making a game for virtual reality or augmented reality, right? So always, there's always something to learn. But what also I think is so wonderful these days is that there are also opportunities to self-publish, right? You don't, your path does not have to be going to a, a, a game studio and being um, a part of a big system. Nothing's wrong with that. So that's a, a absolutely valid and, and uh, I think, um, the rewarding path. But if you want to, if you're feeling, if you're more of an entrepreneur and you want to start your own thing, there's a way to start making games either on your own or with friends and with partners and getting to the point where you can actually publish it yourself. Oh, for sure. And each one of those topics, that's a good 30 to 40 minute conversation we could have. And I know I, for those of you who are listening to me right now, I have certainly had them with developers and publishers, especially in the independent space. Now, as you said, starting out learning game design and just the overall or the basic fundamentals, you can certainly do that with, you know, paper prototypes and even just game design logic uh, puzzles there. Now, when it comes to uh, teaching kids how to code, I know you mentioned a software, I think, earlier in this cast, but uh, what are some of the other, I guess, software tools that you try to introduce to kids or introduce to the youth at, you know, their age level? Well, um, I think that, um, that some of them is, is uh, impacted by the level of experience that uh, students might have with, uh, computer, you know, coding just in general, right? So if, with a very little experience to coding, um, we, we, we tend to introduce kids to scratch, which is using building blocks. Okay. Um, okay. so it's less about understanding the code itself, but more about the design thinking and how to instruct, um, you know, your sprite or, you know, in an environment to do things that you want them to do. So that is a great way. And you can, and there are tutorials online. I mean, it's just really easy to jump in and, and learn how to do it. Modding existing games, um, and then, you know, and, and creating your own. So that's one tool. Um, another easy entry tool is GameStar Mechanic. Um, both of these are free. So, you know, it's, it's you know, there's no barrier to giving it a try. Um, and then Unity, you know, Unity has, um, has become uh, much more user-friendly with a lot of tutorials online as well and being used in schools. So I, you know, I have seen... First-time game designers using Unity, uh, typically they have some kind of coding experience uh, outside of game design, so um, it's you know it's easier to kind of just jump right in. Uh, but I think, um, but I, I don't think it's out of reach by any means uh, for for kids in middle and high school. All right. In terms of the mentoring that uh, your program or the Games for Change program does, like how what kind of people do you bring in? Like, do you have game developers that come in to help kids or do you have like volunteers or somebody else? Yeah. So the, the program we run with middle and high school students, um, in New York at least, and, and in, and in the other cities, we try to engage with the professional community, um, and the university community within each city. So, the mentors may end up being an independent game designer. Um, it could be somebody from a AAA studio, like in New York, Take Two Interactive, um, or it could be a graduate student from or a teacher from NYU's Game Center. Um, and we match them up with classrooms, so they're coming into the schools and meeting with the kids regularly in a school environment. Um, but then they're also coming to our game jams and just giving feedback on the games that kids are, are creating. Um, and so we do encourage relationships to be built, but also just for, for kids to get exposed to people who are working in this space and to understand that this is something that they can do. 
um, and to see some, you know, uh, role models uh, that they can look up to. And then, of course, these same people are the ones who are judging the games and helping picking picking the, the winners out of the competition. Great. And how long does the actual program run for? Like, how long does a, a child stay in it? Um, so the the if, if a child is in the uh, the the curriculum, the classes that are happening in the school, and, and right now we have about 20 to 40 um, uh, courses going on at any given time, uh, they will start the program in September, um, and it's like a 20-week course. Okay. Um, but any anyone can join a game jam, and anyone can join the competition. Um, the game jams typically start in December, and we'll have four of them from December to like April. Um, and we announce the challenge at the beginning of the year, and you can start making your game on your own, you know, as early as September. And then the portal opens for that competition, and that competition is just for middle and high school students. That portal will open around February and close uh, in the beginning of May. And just that requirements to join the competition is just a playable level of a game. We require that to that you uh, deliver the game on a URL, so it has to be a be uh, browser based because that helps us with our judging process. Um, and it's about one of the themes that we identify, and it can be done on any platform. Great. And here's a question I'm curious about with regards to teaching kids about game design. This one, I'm not sure if you would have any direct experience with it, Susanna, or it may just be too big, but it's one thing that I'm curious about. With your program or with bringing in, like, mentors to, like, help kids and give them, like, that first step into learning game design, game development, I guess, are there any, uh, I guess, um, I'm trying to think how to say this, like, are there any areas that are a bit harder to grasp starting out like like for people listening to this cast who may be willing to either teach their children or have their own program like are there any like universal trouble spots when it comes to i guess introducing this to kids for the first time well i think there's the the misconception that it's overwhelming right that you need to have a certain level of experience to jump in um and that's not the case at all. There are some very, very simple programs that kids can start on their own. You don't need to enter a formal course or an after-school club, although that's fantastic. Um, so I, I would um, I would say that there is this free software out there that that you can access and you can look at tutorials. And you know, kids are natives, right? They they don't need to read the rules; they'll figure it out. You know, it's pretty amazing. Um, and so it's accessible. It's very accessible. Great. Now, I guess with with regards to the program and the students' challenge, are there any other aspects that we didn't touch on that you would like to discuss now? Um, so uh, we talked about um, the fact that uh, this um, experience is on a is available in different cities. Um, and we are coming back next year with New York City. Um, we also run in Atlanta and Detroit and L.A. Um, and we are always looking for um, kids to participate as, uh, as competitors in making games. Um, we're always looking for mentors. Um, and we're also looking for partners uh, to help you know, bring this program to different schools. So if there are teachers out there that's interested in participating, uh, definitely should sign up to our, our newsletter at, at gamesforchange.org. Um, we're going to put a call out to teachers who are interested in applying to be one of our 20, 20 schools in each city. Uh, we'd love love to uh, consider them. Great. And as kind of a tangent right there, for a city to be interested or to uh, sign up for this kind of program, I guess how like do you have to like expand out there or do they have to reach out to games for change in order to want to uh, get this for their schools? Well, it's a, it's a combination. Uh, we are, we, we are approached by different um, school districts or different organizations in, in different cities saying, you know, we've heard about this program. We'd like it to bring it to our school. Um, we, uh, we have a, 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 some, I guess, uh, specific criteria 
that we need in order to put into place to to make it successful program. Uh, so we we are involved in setting up the program in each city, um, but we look to local partners to help execute it. So you know whether it's a not for profit or a school itself that wants to be kind of an anchor partner and help with you know running it you know, day to day, we do, we develop the overall framework and the challenge themes and we run the competitions and we, you know, send lots of material, but we are, we do need somebody in a city to kind of be our facilitation partner. So that's something that we look for. Um, and then we also look for, uh, some funding partners, right? So we're really lucky to be working with General Motors in Atlanta and Detroit. They came to us and said, we're interested in bringing this program to those cities. And we worked it out. We figured out how to do it. Um, and same thing in LA, we're working with the Annenberg Foundation and they too had a program where they wanted to bring innovative STEM programs to, to youth and our, our, ours was a good fit and we found some local partners to make it work. Great. And as I said at the start, it's always amazing to hear about more programs and more organizations interested in teaching kids about game design. And as you said, like a lot of these skills and a lot of what we've talked about can be applied just in terms of making them better at doing other work. Even if they lose that interest or they don't feel like becoming full-time game developers, skills like critical thinking and management can be applied to many other tracks. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, creating games is a great applied learning opportunity for kids who are learning coding, right? So it's a great project-based experience. Um, We actually also found that we have teachers in the schools or high school, um, our social studies teachers and English teachers who bring this course into their classroom because it's a great entry way to get kids thinking about issues as well. Right. Um, as well as developing those skills that we say are transferable into many, many career paths. So it's, um, it's another, uh, activity, uh, project-based learning activity that, um, has benefits, that crossover from STEM, learning STEM skills, as well as these uh, softer 21st century skills. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that we didn't touch on, I'm just curious about, we've talked about design, we've talked about programming. Does Games for Change offer any programs or assistance when it comes to the art side of video games, like aesthetics, music, that kind of thing? Well, I definitely uh, appreciate how important that those components are to uh, designing a, uh, an effective and fun game. Uh, I kind of package that up in the whole team. You know, when you put a get together a game design team, or you think about doing this on your own, you know, those are components and roles you ha- that you have to fill. Um, we're not doing anything specifically to help uh, develop that particular skill, but I would say that in some ways those skills are the most transferable, right? You have a friend who's a great artist. Let's have them design some characters for your video game. You got someone who likes to mix music, like let's have them working on a soundtrack. Um, and so you can utilize, um, and develop skills, um, that are outside of the game design process and apply them. Yeah. So again, there's certainly a lot here to talk about. And it was, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Suzanne, about this. And, I think what we're going to probably do is put the discussion about designing serious games on hold, at least for right now, because that's a good, who knows, how many, how much longer of a talk. And you kind of have a festival to actually launch in a week, so I don't want to keep you from that. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you just now, and I'd be happy to have myself or someone else on my team continue the conversation in a separate cast. Perfect. So to begin to wrap things up for this recording, as we've said, we're recording this a week before and the actual podcast should be going up right at the start of this year's festival. For people who want to follow Games for Change and things along those lines, if you'd like to mention any social media, you you mentioned Facebook earlier, but if people want to find out more about Games for Change, uh, definitely feel free to mention some places. Yeah, so please come and you're welcome to check out gamesforchange.org as our main uh, website, and you can find information about the festival on that site. Um, we also are, have a Facebook page, uh, which you should check out, and then um, 
Twitter would be at uh, G4C. Great. And for any developers listening who may want to contribute or offer their mentoring uh, for the future, do you have any specific sites or links for them to get in touch? Yeah, so we do have a, a website about the Student Challenge, which you can get through on our main page, um, uh, where you can learn about that opportunity, and then there are links to uh, that email, where you can email us to say whether you're interested in bringing this program to your school, you want to apply to be a teacher in the program, maybe you've got students, you want to know what the game jam, jam schedule is, or you're a parent, or you want to be a mentor. Um, easy one that you could email is partnerships at gamesforchange.org. Okay. And one question for myself, for any parents who would like more information about Games for Change or things that they can do to help get their kids like you know off the ground running when it comes to game design, do you have any sites or resources along those lines? Yes, yeah, so if you can if you come onto the Games for Change a student challenge website, which again, you can follow it. You can get there from our main our main website. We have a resources page that gives um, a listing of free software and uh, and um, schools and after school clubs where you can go and um, and find opportunities for your your child or your student to learn more about games. Perfect. So. I think with that, we will wrap things up. Again, Susanna, thank you so much for coming on. And best of luck with Games for Change. I hope we can have that follow cast after a successful uh, festival this year. Well, thank you very much. Look forward to it. Not a problem. So with that said, we're going to wrap up this week's cast. Again, if you'd like to check out Games for Change, you can go to the places Susanna mentioned, and I'll include links down below. But if you like to support Game Wisdom and what I do, as always, we have several options available. You can follow me on Twitter at GWBicer for the latest updates with things that I do. You can check out the Game Wisdom YouTube channel where I post daily videos discussing game design, live casts with developers and members of the industry, and more. And you can find me on Patreon under patreon.com slash GWBicer. Your support can help to keep things running. And if we can hit some goals, there will be more content for everyone to enjoy. But that is going to do it for this week's Perceptive Podcast. Tune in next time for another great discussion on the art and craft of game design. But until then, have a great week.